Welcome to the Abra Money 3.0 show, your guide to the future of all things money. This week, Abra CEO Bill Barheit sits down with Zcash founder Zuko Wilcox to talk about the history of the internet, the evolution of HTTPS, the importance of crypto privacy, and its journey to create a new cryptocurrency with Zcash. So first of all, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. So why did you get into cryptocurrencies in the first place? I want to talk specifically about Zcash, but just why are you excited about this kind of space in general? I got excited about this space in about 1993 when I discovered okay. some science papers by cryptographers yeah. and the cypherpunks mailing list. You mm-hmm. know about the cypherpunks uh, mailing list? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. When the internet was fresh and... From that moment, when I was like 19 years old, that's when I fell down the rabbit hole. And I guess I came at it from a science and technology perspective. Yeah. yeah. And how did that kind of evolve over time to creating a whole new cryptocurrency, right? I mean, obviously reading reading papers in 93 and creating a new currency in 2015, I mean, there's, there's a lot of time in between, right? So how did, yeah. how did that evolve? Um, well, I worked on some of the pre-Bitcoin projects that tried to make digital cash in different ways on the internet. Mm -hmm. And then there was this long dry spell. There was the dot-com winter when all the companies went out of business and everyone was jobless. And also during there was the privacy winter when the CEO of Sun Micro here in Silicon Valley said, privacy is dead, get over it. Right. We don't hear about Scott McNeely much anymore. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we I think there's also been a shift that that whole notion that nobody cares about privacy is actually being disproven. Mm-hmm. It turns out that people do care. They sure do. That's what I think. Yeah. So, okay, why Zcash? Well, let's let's take a step back. What is Zcash okay. first of all? And then we'll talk about why Zcash. Okay, so to answer your earlier question, what happened between like 1993 yeah. and 2015? Sure. One thing that happened was Satoshi Nakamoto came along, and mm-hmm. that he he solved the unsolved problem that I and the other people who were working before him had tried and failed to solve, which was decentralization. Mm-hmm. We could solve privacy, but we couldn't solve decentralization. And in the context of the double spend problem. Right. So therefore, all of the pre-Bitcoin digital cash schemes, people didn't come to rely on them because they were centralized and people knew that they were in danger of disappearing if that Mm -hmm. company went out of business or the government that it lived in banned it or something. So they wouldn't rely on it. So therefore, it wouldn't get traction. So the world had to wait for Satoshi to figure out how to make decentralized money before we could start making progress again. Yep. Yep. But Bitcoin sacrificed privacy. Mm-hmm. There was no way Satoshi and Hal Finney and others tried to figure out how to build privacy into Bitcoin when mm-hmm. they were getting started because mm-hmm. they valued it and they knew it was important. Sure. But they couldn't figure it out. There was no way to keep the decentralization and also add privacy to Bitcoin yep. in those days. Yeah. And then the next thing that happened was some cryptographers came up with a new technique with which we can combine both decentralization and privacy. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about that before we get into Zcash specifically. So, so if they felt that there was a mandate to make Bitcoin private, 100% private from day one, your perspective is it, it wouldn't have been possible. 
They did feel like that. They had discussions about how to do it. Yeah. And they explored the scientific options. Yeah. But in about 2009, when Mm -hmm. they were having that conversation, there wasn't any way to do it. And so they were forced to give up. Yep. Yep. Okay. So now you figure out a way to make this Well, it wasn't me. It was some other scientists um, who came up with a scientific breakthrough that allows you to prove the truth of information without disclosing that information and um, making yourself vulnerable to some third party to hold that information uh-huh. for you, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And that's that's called zero-knowledge proofs, mm-hmm. and it could eventually turn out to be a solution to our pressing social problems of this increasing centralization of, you know, Facebook and databases of all kinds, that more and more people are more and more vulnerable to that data getting exploited. Well, potentially, the zero-knowledge proof technique might allow us to decentralize and protect that data while still getting all the functionality that you want, being able to see all your grandkids' pictures or whatever it is that you're getting the the benefit out of it without all of this vulnerability, which is like threatening our entire society and making people feel disrespected and and vulnerable. Right. Okay, so that's this new scientific breakthrough that came out, which the the inventors of that breakthrough got the the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for the most important computer science discovery of the period. Right. And then some of those scientists approached me and asked me to make it into a live decentralized network like Bitcoin. And that was the origin of Zcash. Yeah. And how many people worked on Zcash at the beginning? Uh, you know, <laughs> well, give me, what's the history? How did how did the architecture me come and two about? Two other people. Okay. So we struggled for quite a while to get funding from uh, Silicon Valley VCs who had no idea what the heck we were talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll. I'll, I'll not comment on on whether they would be able to understand it now or not, but that's another story, probably. So that was that was a difficult period. I slept in my car at one point because I would rather not pay rent than give up on this dream because I thought it was so important. And then in 2016, we launched the first working cryptocurrency that was fully decentralized and had built-in privacy mm-hmm. using this new cryptography. Yep. Uh, that's That was the origin of Zcash. Okay, so know? let's fast forward. Right? What, what year was that? And by the way, there's a great article about you and the origins of Zcash and Wired from a couple of years ago, as I recall, or maybe last year. There's one um, in Fortune. Fortune. Oh, yeah, there's also one in Wired. Wired. So people can definitely you know, Google you, history, Zcash, Wired, Fortune, and they're going to find some awesome, a couple of awesome articles. So I want to fast forward now a little bit Talk about the state of Zcash today, right? How many, to your knowledge, how many people are using it? How are they using it? Why are they using it? Well, I don't really know how many people are using it because it's an open decentralized thing. And we upload new versions of the software to GitHub. And uh, we don't know how many people are running it in how many different places. Uh, But we hear a lot of, you know, chatter. We hear a lot of mentions of people from different parts of the world. Like two days ago, I heard, I read an article in a magazine that said Bitcoin miners in Iran are 
looking at using Zcash because they're being targeted not only by Western sanctions, but also by the local cops who are mm. trying to steal their stuff. Right. And I've seen quite a few, there's been quite a few different people who've described using Zcash in Venezuela for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that it's illegal and they're trying to avoid the laws. It's just that the cops are thieves and they're trying to avoid getting robbed. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, um, that's something I think is really important to point out to people is that like maybe we're a little bit too comfortable where we live that we naturally think of privacy as being privacy from some centralized and perhaps oppressive entity like Facebook or the United States government or whatever. But in most places, and also maybe in the United States, privacy is also privacy from random hackers on the internet Absolutely. and your creepy ex who's stalking you and you know advertisers who are just following you around the internet. Yeah, I agree with that. So have you heard any kind of either US or like European stories about how Zcash is being used or changing people's lives and or like rumors of, of anecdotes? US and European. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's too early days for mm-hmm. I, I it definitely has changed some people's lives, but not but in places where they were a lot needier and it was a, lot, a weird situation. Like there's this guy who discovered Bitcoin and Zcash mining and trading in Venezuela a mm-hmm. couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And that basically saved his life and allowed him to wow. escape from Venezuela. Uh, so I've heard quite a few stories of that kind. Um, in is that because US, he was mining and was able to save enough uh, up enough money to uh, Originally escape, it or? wasn't mining. Originally it was um, working on like, what do you call those piecemeal work sites like mm-hmm. uh, I forget the name of it it's kind of like Amazon Mechanical Turk oh, I see um, you like could do little designs or translate yeah. language to other languages or fill out forms or whatever right, and right, you right, get paid right. this tiny little amount and he was getting paid but because of where he was living the centralized payment services like PayPal either wouldn't serve him or would take such a cut that right. he couldn't even survive on it yeah. and then he discovered getting paid in Bitcoin uh, and then he discovered Zcash. And then after about a two years of that, he was able to save up and flee the country hmm. and move to, I think, to Argentina. Amazing. And then in the, in the, in the West, in the, in the safe, comfortable countries, one thing that I hear a lot about is people using Zcash for anonymous donations to nonprofits. Yeah, that's fantastic. So... I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about kind of the current state of the tech and what's next. So what are you guys working on now? What do you think has to evolve in the platform to make it become more mainstream over time? Yep. The current state of the tech is we just shipped the biggest upgrade ever of Zcash, which improved the cryptography. There's this analogy I like to rely on a lot, which is that Zcash is like HTTPS. Mm -hmm. Um, Although then I have to explain because nowadays people just think that HTTPS was always there. But when I was a kid, they didn't have HTTPS. And if you logged on to your bank website, then some random hacker would be able to also, you know, steal your password. So the technology companies that were inventing the World Wide Web invented HTTPS in order to protect the users who were using the World Wide Web. And during the early days, 
it was too inefficient and it was considered like novel and weird. And so it was only a niche thing. There was a time when you would use HTTPS if you were connecting to your bank, but you wouldn't use it if you were doing anything else on the web. Well, one of the things that had to change was that we had to, we cryptographers and technologists and entrepreneurs had to make it faster and easier and make it like integrated by default into everything right. so that the users didn't have to think or to do anything in order to benefit from the protections. Okay, so that's where we are with Zcash. Is the first version that we launched two years ago isn't that fast and it's kind of clunky. And what we've just done is upgrade the performance of it so that it can now fit into any mobile phone or like hardware wallet, you know, those little hardware devices that mm-hmm. you can store your, your Bitcoin in. And what we're working on for next year is similarly improving the user experience and the scalability and helping it get integrated into more and more platforms and products and exchanges and businesses. Yep. All right, so let's break that down one at a time. So I remember, It's already an Abra, by the way. Yep, that's right. We'll come, back, we'll come back to that too, but let's break it down one at a time. So I remember 20 years ago, so I was on the team at Netscape that you know, we, after we created SSL, we oh, were really? out working on that. certificate authorities. So go, designing certificate authorities because nobody could use SSL because the certificates weren't there. So I actually had to go out all over the world and help other companies motivate them to figure this out. In some mm-hmm. cases, ironically, governments. So to, to extend that analogy, right, I remember 20 years ago, the first sites, I mean, they would crawl when you typed HTTPS and said HTTP. So you wouldn't do it unless you were at secure checkout or looking exactly. at your bank account. Yep. But then fast forward to like literally five years ago, Google makes HTTPS the default. Yep. I'm not even sure if there is HTTP on Google anymore. I think you have to use HTTPS pretty much for everything. Right. But we don't notice the difference anymore from a performance perspective. Right. Uh, either because the internet's <clears> faster, <throat> the browsers are faster, JavaScript doesn't crash anymore. Wh- whatever reason, it's become mainstream. And I guess what you're saying is, is that you see a similar evolution right. with Zcash and the underlying technology as it relates to money and transaction processing. Yep. And that evolution is both technological, like you were saying, about how the web used to be hard to use and HTTPS used to be hard to use and now it's easy to use. And it's also social and legal. Mm-hmm. Like there was this moment in history in the 1990s when some parts of the United States government tried to prevent HTTPS. Oh, the, the, the stories I could tell you. So, <laughs> so I remember getting on the phone when I was in Europe with Netscape, fighting with our own lawyers, which they were just the messengers, saying, hey, you know, we're losing business because yeah. local European companies are starting to create browsers that are allowing people to have strong crypto because we open sourced SSL yep. because we can't... Uh, Back in those days, the SSL technology was considered munitions-grade cryptography. Oh, yeah, I remember. And we couldn't export it, which was insane. It yeah. was purely, it was just insanity. And then I remember uh, Zimmerman put his uh, PGP key in, in, uh, on his shirt. That and was then, Adam Back, who oh, now uh, is the yeah, CEO yeah. of Blockstream, who made yeah. the shirt. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. he put the, the code in the, in the book and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the book. I, right? I, helped, so, anyway. I helped type it back in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the book. Yeah, exactly. So, so it just feels like history is is repeating itself a little bit in this regard. But yeah, but now, so so your your perspective is is that in some time frame in the future, this is going to be the default. The yeah, and the, hopefully it won't take what was that twenty years. Hopefully 20 it won't years. take twenty years this time. Right. Yeah, it's it's going to be the default eventually, and a bit, I think a really important part of it is is social, like like the laws in many cases follow the people. 
And currently, just like in the 1990s, when the United States government and maybe some other governments were like afraid or suspicious of this new technology, similarly, there are some governments, not the United States so much today, that are uh, afraid or skeptical about Zcash. Mm -hmm. And what I think is important is for the people to realize, first of all, that this is protective Mm -hmm. of them and it's protective of society. Yeah. Um, you know, the way our societies are going is unsettling. It's, yep. it's risky. We're doing things that we've never done before, and they could have huge downsides to the way Absolutely. our society works. And blockchain, like decentralized technology and encryption technology are two things that might be protective and stabilizing. And hopefully the governments of the world will come around a lot faster. The United States... Regulators have already come around and approved Zcash in the United States, which is uh, a really amazing step forward. That what does that like, mean when you say they approve Zcash? What does that actually mean? Well, like there's the New York Department of Financial Services, which is uh, sort of the most forward-leaning regulator of cryptocurrencies in the United States. And One they, might say heavy-handed, but I guess it depends <laughs> on your perspective. Is that, to, is that a fair to, statement? To be polite. Well, no. Okay, so to be specific, they have this very strong stance that in order for a cryptocurrency company to do anything with New York citizens, you have to get their prior approval. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's a lot to ask, right? It's not sure, just yeah. like you have to not do certain things, or if you do certain things, we might come to you afterward. No, you have to get permission ahead of time before you do things. Yeah. So um, what's, I think, some very surprising and notable is that the New York Department of Financial Services has approved, given prior approval to mm-hmm. companies to serve Zcash to New Yorkers. I see. Uh, and it's one of only like probably seven or eight coins that have received mm-hmm. that kind of approval so far. Gotcha. And I'm really glad it happened now and not like 18 years from now. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So we have these upgrades coming or that are being released now, uh, Im- improves uh, performance, yeah. hopefully improves uh, user experience. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, we're excited. We support Zcash in the Abra app. Hopefully uh, in the next uh, few weeks uh, with the deposits and withdrawals, I'm also excited about that. But um, Excellent. I, I, think, I think the operative question here is let's take a step back. We yeah. talked about the history of the internet and how HTTPS came around. But let's fast forward to 2018. Everybody's screaming about Facebook and mm. privacy. And, but as it relates to this kind of new world of cryptocurrencies, why should I care about privacy? Let me put it in context, right? Unfortunately, our perspective here is, is that when you try to explain like a non-custodial key, for example, to the average user, they just don't care. Right, right. Right? Until they've been hacked. Right, Then right. they care, right? Then they're like, well, wait a minute. Leaving my crypto online right? At an exchange probably wasn't a good idea in the first place, yeah. but I only, I only get that now, right? Because I've been hacked. And, and so why should I care right now about privacy as it relates to cryptocurrencies? One problem with privacy is it's too late to take it back after, <laughs> after you've been hacked. Uh, similarly with your losing your, with your, having your private keys stolen. It's, yeah, it's, for sure. You should care ahead of time if possible. Yep. People should realize if if cryptocurrencies really come into their own and start being used as money, mm-hmm. which they are, they are used as money by some people 
enough people to prove that it really works and it continues to work year after year. And it's enough to prove that some people value it and they care about using it as mm -hmm. money, not just as a speculative investment. Yep. But people need to realize that if you use cryptocurrency as money, then the you're losing privacy in an even worse way than with all of the other problems we're seeing on the internet. Yeah. That is not only like if you get paid your salary in Bitcoin and then you go to the coffee shop and you buy a coffee. Yeah. Not only does the coffee shop owner get to find out what your salary is, which is not what, not what people expect. <laughs> right. And not what should happen. Not only does your boss get to find out where you go and how you spend your money, but random third parties get to find out criminal hackers who are looking for people to hack into their phones and steal their money, they get to find out your salary and where yep. you go for coffee and when. Everyone in the world gets to find out. So even though Satoshi's breakthrough was the fundamental necessary breakthrough, it's incomplete as Satoshi recognized at the time. Yep. It can't really be used for money by normal people at scale with that kind of disclosure and vulnerability. Interesting. So, so there was this um, finding uh, or ruling, I don't know what, what the, the, the legal term is, from the Treasury Department a few weeks ago, Office of Foreign Assets, Asset Control, OFAC, that basically made it illegal to work with or sanction a couple of wallets right. based in Iran. I think they're based in Iran, as far as yeah. they could tell. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that given what you just said, if, if Bitcoin in those wallets, right, working your way backwards touched, you know, somebody in, in Mountain View's phone a few months ago, and you can tell that because of the way Bitcoin works, that's a problem. And nobody really understands the implications of that. Yeah. I would posit that that actually makes the money kind of non-fungible, and that shouldn't be a problem. Right. And no nobody knows if, if there was some Bitcoin that was in one of those wallets, and then it, it transferred to a new address... And then it transferred to another new address. Yeah. And then, you know, you bought some on a service and it went into your wallet. Nobody knows if you're in legal danger now. Right. Like, are you suspected of having some association right. with those Iranians exactly. or are you safe? Nobody but, and, knows. And the analogy is if I have a $20 bill in my pocket, I don't know who had it 15 people ago. Yeah. And if that person was doing something legal or illegal, and it's shouldn't be my responsibility yeah. to know. Now, it may be my responsibility to know whether or not the person who handed it to me right. broke the law. We can debate that even, right? Sure. But it just seems like that we're going down this path, which almost makes what you're doing, fake complete that, that people are going to eventually see that this just can't work any other way. Do you agree with that? I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. The the it, it takes years for these kinds of things to play out, but the encroachment of this kind of surveillance of Bitcoin transactions is is spreading and, and strengthening. Mm -hmm. uh, and I agree with you that it it's it, it acts as a drag on the economy. It adds all this uncertainty and this risk about whether it's safe and okay and legal for you to do certain things. Right. And that's clearly just bad for everyone, for, for the economy to be dragged down like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of, you know, privacy and governments, I want to I talk about a couple of things that I'm hearing about. One is the news in Australia. Mm. I don't know if you, if you read about the, or I'm sure you're shaking your head, yeah, so I'm assuming you did. Yeah, I've heard a bit did. about it, yeah. Um, uh, 
for everyone who may not know, the Australian government basically passed a law, which, if as I understand it, that says more or less anybody who provides end-to-end encryption must now provide a backdoor based on a subpoena process to the Australian government, which I think pretty much affects every software product on the planet. Uh, what you, I mean, did I? Is that it more or less? It feels like the 1990s all over again. Yeah. What was now, the, the one clipper? One thing that I'm worried about is, that, yeah, that that whole <laughs> right. thing. And that, that, and that ended really and well. Forbidding Netscape to sell its product uh, yeah, to yeah, Europeans yeah, yeah. and all yeah. that baloney. I mean, this is basically a very similar things happening with all the companies that have to decide what to do with you know just if they're going to serve Australians mm-hmm. now right? or or payment processing companies who use end-to-end encryption. What are they supposed to do? One thing that bothers me about it, aside from I'm already concerned about the effect on Australian society for the sake of Australians, but also Australia is part of what they call the Five Eyes group. It's uh, an alliance of like military espionage teams. And so I assume that that group, which includes the United States, is basically, they basically picked Australia as the one that would have the least resistance from the yeah, from the possible. from the polity from from, right. the, from the social organization there and that it's kind of a trial balloon to see if we can also compromise the security of everyone in the UK and the United States as well so I'm yeah i mean the irony of this is, is um, you know I, I used to work in the intelligence community a long time ago like going back almost 30 years and so I'm out of date, but I hear a lot of rumors, right? And one of the rumors I hear is, is that people in the intelligence community use Wicker to communicate, which is, if you're not familiar, Wicker is like Signal or, or WhatsApp, but, but apparently incredibly secure, mm. right? And hack-proof, right? And they're all using it amongst themselves for that reason, yeah. which I find to be the irony of all ironies given, yeah. given this discussion. No, so. I think that's a really great point is that nowadays governments use products. They use phones. They use the internet. They use web browsers. They Absolutely. use apps. Um, you know, the, the president uses apps. Every Everyone mm-hmm. needs these tools. And um, that's where I think looking, having a sense of history and looking back to, you know, what would the world be like if the United States government had successfully prevented the development of, of, of a secure internet 20 years ago? Well, I mean, what I, I suppose what would have happened is some other country would have developed a secure right. internet and that Silicon Valley would be right. there and not here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's government discussion one. Let's maybe hopefully parlay into something which is uh, a little bit more hopeful long-term, and that's the, the work that you're doing in Venezuela. Mm. So talk about the research project that you guys are doing there and then kind of what's happening now and what's going to happen next. We funded a couple of people, uh, one of whom is uh, just a finance industry, cryptocurrency industry operator that I respected, and the other of whom was a Venezuelan, like basically a refugee who can't safely go back into the country because it's dangerous there. And uh, the two of them were really motivated to understand what's going on there and how that interacts with the new technology, like can blockchains help or can they not help or, or can they hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my company, the, the Zcash corporate entity, funded them to just figure things out, write up a report and so forth. And then they uh, have spun that out into a nonprofit now. And that's called the Open Money Initiative. Wow. So can you, can you just summarize some of the, the key findings that you're aware of? Well, key findings include there has been a lot of cryptocurrency mining in mm-hmm. Venezuela. Yep. For a long time, uh, electricity was super cheap. It's still super cheap. 
but like other parts of the infrastructure are decaying. And so that's making mining harder. Yeah. Uh, but they're still mining and that's a source of income and a salvation to anyone who can do it. There are people who are, you know, it's, it's such a tragic situation and such a lesson in how economies and, and civilization is a very fragile and precious thing. And mm-hmm. that civilization of Venezuela just collapsed in only a period of a few years from being one of the most prosperous and, yeah. you know, it's really incredible the speed at which, places at, at which it's to, deteriorated, right? I um, mean, to, to, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah, it's so tragic. And um, so there are many, many stories of people who are like skilled professionals. They're like doctors or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. and they can't feed themselves. They can't feed their children, but they've gotten into cryptocurrency mining and the additional income hmm. from that is enough to sustain wow. them. It's the only thing keeping them alive in Venezuela. And I think that's fascinating how the this global decentralized network is effectively like teleporting money into this place right. where there's it's no good, other good way. Word. You know, you can't you can't use a bank transfer. Right. Uh, you can't use PayPal. There's no other way to get money into there. Amazing. And so what's next for the project then? The main thing they're doing is figuring out how to provide a wallet that average Venezuelans, maybe not even average Venezuelans, maybe this is the the top tier of the most advanced or technologically sophisticated, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But they're Mm -hmm. trying to develop tools to get this teleportable money Mm -hmm. to be usable for exchange, for like buying a bag of beans. And that's an interesting technological challenge itself because... Nobody has bought a new smartphone in Venezuela in about five years. So you really need, like think about what kind of smartphone you had five years ago. We've got to make the wallet work well on that one. Right. So are and like low end Android phones prevalent in Venezuela so that this could even work? Yeah, there's actually quite a lot of like Android four point one phones. Uh, not everybody, but most people know a like they have a family member? They have access to one potentially, yeah. but it's a very old model by today's standards That's at least. Right. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and there's other ideas. We could have paper wallets. So there's yep. a lot of experimentation going on. Yep. So one thing that's going on right now is experiments in donating. And I'm pretty enthusiastic about this because it's an experiment. It might help. Of course, like any experiment, it might turn out that it doesn't help. But it involves bringing in money from people externally, like rich first worlders who are just trying to help, who sends to teleport some of their money in and then hand it out to Venezuelans along with an app that lets them use it. <clears throat> Possibly Abra in the future if yep. you get that running. Yeah, yeah. Although 4.1 might, Android 4.1 might be a problem. But, <laughs> that but is one can, of the problems. Uh, for this, we might be motivated to figure that out. There's a, there's a donation drive uh, operated by a for-profit company called yeah. AirTM. Yeah, I saw that. A-I-R-T-M. They're, they're down in Mexico. If I, if, yeah, it's yeah. a Mexican company. It's great. And I, they have a lot this. of users in Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're trying to raise, they've raised at least $100,000 oh, already wonderful. just from just everyone around the world. And again, I just love the, tel- I love the ease of it and the teleportation of it. Somebody sees this. They see that there's a way they could help, and they just click and send some of their money to donate into this. And now, now, what happens on the Venezuelan side? So if I happen to have an Android phone that supports their wallet and I receive Zcash, what am I doing right now with that Zcash most likely? Do you guys have any insight into that? That's part of the experiment. And there's one, there are many experiments going on. Well, this is going to be the biggest when it happens, yeah. after they've raised the money yeah. and they start distributing it. That's going to be the biggest experiment. 
That's a really good question. I, I assume that a lot of people are just going to want to immediately spend it, right? They're, they're just going to get $10 worth yeah. of Zcash. Oh, by the way, this isn't just Zcash. They also have just like, like basically a stable coin, uh-huh. like the, a US dollar denominated balance yeah. you could get. Yeah. Or uh, a whole bunch of Bitcoin cashers donated a whole lot of money because Roger Veer offered to match all of their okay. donations a couple of days ago. Okay. Um, but anyway, so it's not That's just cool. Zcash, but they're going to get $10 worth of something in this wallet. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it. A lot of them have like an urgent need, right? Right. They're like, new pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I assume then if you say they're spending it, that there are merchants then in this ecosystem that are also using that that wallet that are willing to accept that as a form of payment as well. That's actually ambiguous because there are there are claims that there are a lot of merchants in Venezuela and in neighboring uh, Colombia where there's a whole bunch of refugees mm-hmm. crossing mm-hmm. the bridge into Cucuta, Colombia. So there are there are definitely some merchants who accept cryptocurrencies there. However, when the Open Money Initiative has sent like people on the ground to visit those merchants, they've often found out that they don't actually know how to work the technology and you can't actually buy yeah. anything with cryptocurrency in yeah. that merchant. So this is one of these experiments where we really have to learn and iterate in order to make it useful for people. And we're not just like gesturing. This is awesome. So we'll make sure when we um, post uh, the Abra blog article on this video that we'll include links to whatever sites people can go to, to either either donate or find out more, read yep. more, read the the original article or the the, the research reports. Uh, Jill, right, is, is the researcher. Yeah, Jill Carlson yeah, Jill's, Jill's and fantastic. I'm very impressed with Jill. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and read her uh, and her colleagues' reports and, um, you know, find out more. So what's, you know, fast forward five years, what would you like to see happen in your world, in our world over the next five years? I'd like to see Zcash or other cryptocurrencies, uh, but Zcash for privacy and security. I'd like to see Zcash gain exponential takeoff for the first time. Like Bitcoin has seen linear growth in usage. It had exponential growth in valuation at one point. Yeah. But it's only really seen linear growth in usage for the most part over the years. Yeah. And I would like to see somebody find out that this thing is usable, it makes sense to them, it's safe, it's fast, and it becomes more and more valuable to them and more and more valuable to their friends and neighbors and the people they do business with and it explodes. And do you feel like you have the right plan in place to scale, assuming that that happens? That's a challenge. (laughs) We're working on that one because we're trying to, we're trying to trigger this explosion of usage, but at the same moment, we're trying to figure out how can we scale in order to meet that so that it can keep going. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there was this circular discussion that actually really hurt Bitcoin late last year when the mining fees in some cases hit $50, right? People really realized that there was a big issue with Bitcoin that needs to be addressed. And I feel like we're partially addressing that by punting a little bit and a lot of people uh, without getting into the technology, right? And so I feel like for privacy to work, the on-chain scaling simply has to be there. I don't 100% know if it has to be on-chain or off-chain. This is another one of these experiments where I'll make up my mind after I see some results. Yeah, okay, that's fair. (laughs) But we are... I tend, we are working on, well, actually, we're working on both. We're working on improving the scalability of the Zcash blockchain itself, the layer one. Mm -hmm. There's some, you know, there's some low-hanging fruit where we can double or multiply by 10x how many users could be using it at the same time. And they would all get good service at a good price. 
Uh, at the same time, we're also working on what they call layer two scaling, mm -hmm. uh, which has different trade-offs. Sure, a la lightning and yeah. channel technology. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fantastic. Look, this has been awesome. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I love it. Yeah. Really enjoyed. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And it was really uh, great. I hope everyone uh, enjoys this as much as I did. I know I think they will. So thanks again. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. And uh, you're welcome here at Abra anytime. This episode originally aired on Abra's video series, which features Bill in conversation with a number of crypto influencers and luminaries from around the world. You can watch the full episode as it aired on Abra's YouTube channel by visiting youtube.com forward slash Global. Take a listen. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your news. This episode featured music by Alex Barroza. 